my name is Isaac Bricado, and I grew up running the halls of this church. Uh, I grew up running the construction area of this church before it was built, and so thank you all for trusting me to now share a message from here. For those who don't know, I live in Ethiopia. I've been in Ethiopia just over six, six years, three years, my goodness, just over three years now, and I love every minute of it. Um, the Lord has called me to be in Ethiopia. I work with a small organization called PATH International, and we work with orphans and vulnerable children. We work through providing education for those who are the forgotten, those who are one, the ones living in the forgotten places. We provide education for them. We provide mentorship. And we work with their, single, single, their guardians, usually that are single mothers or aunties or grandmothers that they live with. These are people who have no, no background in anything, no basis in anything. All they know how to do, because they've been left, left by husbands who have died, who have left them, who have been taken over by mental illness and disease. And so all they know how to do is beg a lot of these women. And so we work with the women as well in elevating them out of poverty and giving them a second chance at life. All of this in Jesus' name. I wish that we could be on African time right now, and I wish that I could speak for an hour and a half at least, but we're not, and I'm limited. So I want to share some things that I've prepared. Pastor Terry gave me a subject, and I shot an email back to him. I said, the subject you gave me is at least a three-month course. I don't know how I'm supposed to share this in 30 minutes. Um, But I prayed, I asked the Holy Spirit, and I hope that the Lord gives me, I hope that he has given me something that can encourage y'all, um, and that y'all can think about and take back with y'all. So the topic that Pastor Terry gave me is living missionally. And now some of you might understand why that's a three-month course. But living missionally, and I think that when we think of what living missionally means, a lot of different concepts come to mind. We think of missionaries, we think of people traveling across the world, or we might think, okay, living missionally, that means I have to talk to every single person I encounter about Jesus. So that means when I'm checking out at the food counter, I have to tell them about Jesus. When I'm sitting on the plane, I have to talk to the person about Jesus. And for those of us who aren't gifted evangelists, I think that makes us shudder inside a little bit, especially for those of us who are introverts, those of us who are not big people, people, people. And so I want to go back to the scripture for a second. I want to see if we can find a concept of living missionally in the scripture and see what that means for us so that we can all be encouraged, so that we can go out with a fresh sense of um, God's calling over our life, and that we can do this without fear, without being worried and shaking that, shoot, next plane trip I have to take, I have to tell the person next to me about Jesus. So I want to get a biblical view of what missional living really is, and then I'll share how it applies to me, and then how it applies to y'all. So, when we think mission, we can play the whole Latin roots game, go back to Mitio, which then reminds us of the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And that's the first scripture we'll, we'll go to, just as our basis, so Matthew 28, starting in 18 and going through verse 20. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we always go back to the Great Commission, Jesus' last words, but 
I think there's something, there's another verse that's key in helping us get a framework of what living missionally means. This could be a part two or maybe even a part one to this Matthew 28 passage. And it's found in Acts chapter one. Uh, this is another sort of retelling or another glimpse into Jesus's last words with his disciples. So Acts chapter one, uh, we'll start in verse eight and just read that verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So when we talk about being on mission, I think between these verses and their contexts, always taking it in the greater context, we can start to find some definitions to understand what we really ought to be about, what the Lord Jesus has called us to. Um, now, Acts, Acts 1.8 is a, is a snapshot. But to understand the context, we need to go back to verses 4 and 5 um, to see what Jesus said specifically referring to being my witnesses. So Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Gathering together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the, what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So I want to give three points today. The first point is proactively wait for the Holy Spirit. If you're writing notes, you can write proactively wait for the Holy Spirit. Jesus ascended into heaven. He left the disciples. And then he said, you are going to be my witnesses, but first wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Wait for the helper which the Father is going to send to you. And so the believer's journey begins like this. We, just like the disciples, we have a, a starting place. So this is our starting place. We, like the disciples, have heard the words of Jesus. And we've heard his teaching, so then we wait. We wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon us. And we know that when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we'll have power and we'll be the witnesses of the Lord in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But this is where I think a lot of times we can grow complacent. We can take the word wait and we can say, okay, I'm waiting. And that's where we grow stagnant and cold and there's no fruit in our lives. No fruit of the Holy Spirit, no fruit of the Lord Jesus. My dad gave me an illustration once when I was talking about waiting with him. Um, I think I was talking about it specifically in wanting to be married. And I'm like, I, God told me just wait. Wait for a wife. Wait for a wife. Okay, fine, I'll wait. And he said, but remember, what is waiting? Think about when you go to a restaurant. What are the people called that come and take your order? They're called waiters, right? Are they just sitting back watching you eat? No, they come to your table. They take your order. They then take your order to the kitchen. And then they're always there. They might have a post where they're posted. I worked in the food service industry, so I know. They're posted up, and they're watching their tables. They're watching everybody. Who needs help? Who needs assistance? Who needs to order more? Who's ready for the bill? So waiting here is an active concept. And it's actually funny. The early disciples even kind of were waiting on tables themselves in the book of Acts. Um, but when we think about waiting, and we'll see this scripturally, it's not a sitting back being lazy type of waiting. It's not saying... One day, if the Holy Spirit wants to fill me, he can fill me. I'll do his, his things, but he hasn't come yet, so I'm not going to do anything. That is not the concept of waiting. The waiting concept is that of a waiter, actively being ready, looking around, seeing how we can serve. And we see this clearly in Acts chapter 1, going down to verse 14. This is before the Holy Spirit had come. This is before the Holy Spirit came down upon the believers as a whole. 
Acts chapter 1, verse 14. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So we know that waiting includes, at the very least, continually devoting oneself to prayer. So the very first baseline, the very first place that all of us in here should be today, if we've listened to the teachings of Jesus, if we've chosen to accept them, whether or not we know about the Holy Spirit, whether or not we know anything else, the very first thing we should be doing is continually devoting ourselves to prayer. That starts to build the relationship. It starts to bring us in tune, in synchronization with the Lord. And then the believers here, as was the custom to celebrate Shavuot, or in Greek is called Pentecost, it's celebrating when God gave the Torah to the people of Israel. And so the believers, they didn't forsake the days of gathering prescribed by God. They still came together. They assembled to celebrate this day when God gave the Torah, his law, his teachings to the people of Israel. And they continued to fellowship as a community. That's key. So they were praying, continually devoting themselves to prayer, and fellowshipping together. So now we have something else to add to our baseline. If we don't know about the Holy Spirit yet, we don't know about our calling, our gifting, if we don't know the voice of the Lord yet, my first question to you would be, are you constantly devoting yourself to prayer? And are you fellowshipping with other believers? So remember this. These are our baselines. So then when we get to Acts 2, on the day of Shavuot, uh, suddenly a violent rushing wind came and tongues of fire appeared over the heads of, of the believers. If you're Ethiopian, you'd understand what I was saying. And that's kind of what was happening on the day of Pentecost. The Lord came down, different people started speaking in different languages. That was Amharic. And others who didn't understand, they said they're drunk. But there were some people in the audience who said, no, that's my language. Another said, no, that's my language. And they, and the Holy Spirit came upon all of them. And from that moment on, whenever the apostles went out proclaiming the gospel, they brought people into repentance of sins, confession of Christ, baptism of water, and baptism of the Holy Spirit. So we can look specifically in Acts 2, verses 42 to 47, to see what happens right after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes down, the believers in mass, as a whole, assembled together, received the Holy Spirit, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day all those who were being saved. So, let me add a new baseline for you. Now that the baptism of the Holy Spirit has come, things get more exciting. Again, as Acts 2.42 says, at the very least now, we should be devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. That means Bible study. That means reading the word of God. That means coming to church. To fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Yes, eating is part of our religion. Eating is part of our faith. 
eating together, celebrating. What is eating? Eating is coming together in celebration, in unity, and to prayer. But all of that isn't the journey. And I want, I want you to hear this clearly. All of the things I just listed, those are the things that start when we accept Christ. When we receive the Lord in our hearts, when we come to faith in him, we then pray and receive the Holy Spirit. And these are the things that we immediately begin doing. The journey isn't, yes, of course, our prayer life grows, but the journey isn't trying to pray more and more. The journey isn't trying to fellowship more and more. These things are the baseline. This is what we should be doing at the very least if we're not doing anything else. If we as believers have not until now been filled with the Holy Spirit, we need to be filled immediately. And this is an encouragement today to each of you. The Holy Spirit is what equips us to fill and to walk out the Great Commission, to be his witnesses. So I know we have a prayer team here. I know we have pastors here. If you haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit, this is mandatory for our faith and for our walking out relationship with the Lord. And being filled may not mean speaking in tongues. It may not mean falling over. The Spirit interacts with each of us on a different way and on a different level. It could be a very quiet filling of the Holy Spirit. The early believers had to wait for the Holy Spirit. The Lord instructed them to wait and then go. But we don't have to wait anymore. The Holy Spirit has come. So going into the second point, if you're writing notes, you can write this down. The second point is be filled with the Holy Spirit and actively discern his voice and calling. I'll say that again. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and actively discern his voice and calling. I have a lot of friends who are believers, and they have a real and genuine faith and relationship with the Lord, but they don't know their calling, they don't know their spiritual gifting, and they don't really know what they're supposed to be doing in life. They feel lost. And some of them don't even know that they're lost. Some of them don't even realize that they can have a deeper and more intimate relationship with the Lord in which they hear the voice of the Lord, in which they have discernment and hear his calling and are actively being his witnesses. They just don't realize that they can have clarity about what they are supposed to be doing in life. They don't have a clear back and forth communication with the Father. They may have been filled with the Holy Spirit at one point. They may have a conviction in their heart. But beyond that, there's not a lot. And yet the next step of the conviction, of the, of the commission... The next step of the Great Commission in Matthew 28 and also Acts 1 is a very powerful step. And if we aren't in a position of communication and communion with the Holy Spirit, how can we be expected to equip, to be equipped to obey? At the same time, if we aren't obeying the commission that the Lord left us, what are we doing with our lives? Because what comes next is go and make disciples and be my witnesses. These are very active things. But God gave us his spirit. He gave us spiritual gifts. He gave us specific callings in order to follow this commission. A quick scan of Paul's missionary journey, Peter's ministry, and the lives of the believers, as illustrated in the, in the book of Acts, show how in tune the early disciples and the apostles and the believers were with the Holy Spirit. How in tune they were with the spirit of Jesus in obeying his commission. So here's what I mean by this. This is where we're going to start 
to shift a little bit and get a little bit more practical. The spirit of Jesus, we see in Acts, specifically in Acts 16, a few times he told Paul to avoid one town or another. Paul was doing a very intense missionary journey going across the the known world as it was at that time. And his ministry was so intense that there were times when the Lord spoke to him and said, don't go to this town, go to this town instead, or wait here, or do this and do that. He could have been killed earlier, or there could have been people that weren't ready to receive the word at that time if he went according to his own plan. Instead, he was being very intentionally in tune with the calling of the Holy Spirit and letting the Spirit move him from town to town and from place to place. The Spirit of Jesus instructed Peter to minister to the Gentiles through a dream in Acts 10. You have to remember, this wasn't a Gentile religion. The Gentiles were pagans. We were pagans. This was a fulfillment of the understanding that was started when the Lord came down, when God basically gave the Torah, gave the law to Moses. This whole Christianity thing, this was a fulfillment of that. And so the idea of Gentiles, that the Greeks also have a part in this, that was foreign. It was uh, even perhaps disgusting to some of them. And so, again, the apostles, being in tune with the Holy Spirit, Jesus revealed to them, no, I've also made a way that the rest of the world can come in and can receive this grace and mercy and relationship with me. But how did that happen? It happened through dreams, through visions, through callings. They were in tune with the Holy Spirit. Imagine if Peter wasn't in tune with the Holy Spirit. The dream he received saying, go to Cornelius' house. It's okay. You can fellowship with Cornelius, a Gentile. Imagine if Peter just tossed that aside as a dream. And the gospel never came to the Gentiles. What hope would we have? And finally, the spirit of Jesus was with so many as they healed the sick as they cast out spirits, and as they shared the good news of the kingdom of God. So we see that the spirit of Jesus is instrumental, and our being in tune with the spirit of Jesus is instrumental in walking out our calling, in going and being his witness. And then we go to Paul, and we see him discuss the spiritual gifts and callings in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4. And the point of these is for the education of the body of Christ, for the building up of the body of Christ. How can we be effectively discipling others? What is the commission? Go and make disciples. How can we be effectively discipling others if we don't know what our spiritual gift is, if we don't know what our spiritual calling is, which was given to us to disciple each other and to edify and to build each other up? Yes, we can disciple, but how do we do it to the fullest? Doing it to the fullest is knowing the giftings and callings the Lord has given us, and learning how to employ those in the body and in the community around us. So in my notes, I've made the next section bold. That means I need to emphasize it, and that means y'all need to listen clearly. Here's perhaps, I think, the turning point of what I want to share today. And it's brief, but this has been on my heart for a long time. So you can write some notes along here. Because this is the application. This is how do we get to this place. If we're having trouble with these things, if we're having trouble hearing the voice of the Lord, discerning his calling, knowing what our spiritual gifting is, like the believers who just received the Spirit of God, we ought to start by devoting ourselves to prayer, by fellowshipping with believers, 
and by devoting ourselves to the apostles' teachings. It worked for them. I hope it works for us. If we don't know where to go, if we say, okay, I'm ready. I want to make disciples. I want to be his witness. I want to take my faith to the step that it should be at. I've been filled with the Holy Spirit, but now I don't know what to do. I don't know how to hear the voice of God. What does that even mean? I don't, how do I know what my spiritual gifting is? How do I know how to figure out where I've been called? We do like the believers did. We devote ourselves to prayer. Are we, do we have a prayer relationship with the Lord? Where we're praying to him, but we're also learning to sit, sit in silence and hear his voice. Are we fellowshipping with believers? What is the point of fellowship? There's so many points, but one of them is to lift each other up, to encourage each other. It's to my Christian brothers and sisters, and to my dad, that I share my struggles, and they give their perspective as influenced by their understanding of the teachings of the apostles, meaning the scriptures. It's where when I bring my struggles to my brothers and sisters in Christ, they say, well, I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying, look at it this way. Iron sharpening iron. We're lifting each other up. We're helping each other to hear the voice of the Lord. Sometimes I say, I think that the Lord is calling me to do this. Or I think I'm sensing in my prayer that Jesus is saying, do this or go here. But I'm not sure. So what do I do? I go to my brothers and sisters who also hear the voice of the Lord. And who also know me. And I say, does this sound like the Lord to you? And they'll say either, yes, this sounds like the Lord. Go and do it. Or no, I don't think that's the Lord. That's fellowshipping with believers. That's the community. And devoting ourselves to the apostles' teachings. How do we expect to discern the voice of the Lord if we don't know what he's given us? This is the baseline from Genesis to Revelation. This is the baseline to understanding and discerning the voice of the Lord. So many people get, get pulled astray because they say, the Holy Spirit told me to do this, the Holy Spirit told me to do this, but they're not spending time in the word of the Lord and they don't realize that what they think they're sensing in their hearts is not in line with the word of God. So devoting ourselves to the apostles' teachings. Devoting ourselves to the teachings of the Lord. So then as we engage with the text of the Bible, how do we engage? We're journaling. We're meditating on it. We read a passage. We pray, Lord God, speak to me through this passage. Then we journal it down. We write it in our journal. What does that do? It builds up a practice. And then as we start journaling every day what we've been writing, we go back through and we see, oh, there's a theme here. The things that stood out to me as I'm reading the things that I journaled, I now see a theme. The Lord is speaking to me through what I've been reading. I'm meditating on it. Let it fill your mind. And the Holy Spirit will then bring things that you've read, that you've studied, to your memory in the times that you need it. As we engage with brothers and sisters in Christ, when we're fellowshipping with one another, we invite the Holy Spirit to come in our midst and to lead our discussion and to lead our time of encouraging each other. And as we engage with the Father in prayer, we invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us through that time of prayer. We begin to learn how to hear the voice of the Lord and be in tune with his calling and directing through doing these things. We begin to come into sync with the whisperings of the Spirit, learning how to see how he has gifted us, how he has called us, and how he invites us to join him in what he's doing around us. And I think that's the key right there. That's living missionally. I'll say that again. We learn how to see how he has gifted us, how he has called us, and how he's moving in the circles around us, and how he's inviting us to join him in what he's doing around us. Missional living at its root is knowing the voice of the Lord, being sub- in, 
knowing the voice of the Lord, living in submission to the Holy Spirit, and joining him in what he is already doing around us. So finally, point three, this is the easy part. Once we've built the intimacy, once we're in tune and in sync with the Holy Spirit, we're actively being on mission. Point three is actively be on mission. God called James to stay in Jerusalem. He sent Peter throughout Judea. He sent Paul to the Gentiles. But he called Simon as a tanner. He called Lydia as a seller of purple fabric. He called Priscilla and Aquila as tent makers and Phoebe as a businesswoman. Not all of them went to the ends of the earth. Not all of them stood up and preached from a pulpit. But all of them were active in their congregation and active in the community around them. Think about that. God said to Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He didn't just say, go all be missionaries and go to the ends of the earth. What about Jerusalem, where his people are? What about Judea and Samaria, where his people are? In his own land. God needs people there too. God needs people in business. God needs people making tents. He needs people at the butcher shops, in the clothing business. He needs people in the government. But what are you doing in those positions that he's called you to? Are you feeling dejected that you're not in a ministry position? Are you forsaking the community that's around you? The calling that he's put you in? Just dreaming that you could be out doing what I'm doing, I guess. But I want to address that for a second, because when I come back to the U.S., a lot of people say, I could never do what you do over there in Africa. And I appreciate the sentiment and the thinking behind it, but I want to break down for a moment what I actually do to maybe give a clearer idea of this calling thing. So I spend my time in two towns. Half of my time is in Addis Ababa, the capital of Ethiopia. Half of my time is in Choro. Can everybody say Choro? There you go. You said it. Choro. Not Choro. Choro. That's where we work. That's where we have our base. That's where we're working in the community. But our organization, according to its, our registration in Ethiopia, according to what the government has given us, we're registered as a humanitarian organization. Ethiopia has a strong Christian tradition. Proselytization or evangelizing, sharing the gospel, is allowed in Ethiopia, but not according to our registration. As a humanitarian organization, we're not allowed to openly share the gospel or evangelize. On my day off, I can. I can talk about the gospel all I want. But as a job, as a work, we're not allowed to. So what does my day actually look like? Well, I wake up. If I'm in Choro, I wake up. I go out to this little shack where I eat my breakfast. It's kind of like refried beans, but it's way better and it's different. Then I go to another shack and I drink my coffee. Then I go into the office. And what do I do in the office? Usually, I'm writing letters to the local government asking for this or that. I'm writing proposals for new projects that we're trying to do. I am doing internal evaluations, looking at our statistics, looking at all these different things, seeing how our staff is performing. I'm writing internal reports. I'm writing quarterly reports for the local government. Uh, Sometimes if people like to write letters to the children they're sponsoring in Ethiopia, or if our children 
that we're working with like to write letters to their sponsors in the U.S. I translate those letters. It's not very glamorous exactly, the day-to-day work that I'm doing. There's always coffee breaks. That's the best part about my whole day is the coffee breaks. Going out two or three times. I'm not an office person, so I like to go out, drink some coffee. Sometimes I'll drive to work. Sometimes I'll take public transportation. Eat lunch. Go back to work. Finish the work. Go home. Make dinner. Go to sleep. On Saturdays, I take pictures of the kids that we're working with. They come to our office on Saturdays. I joke with them. We talk about my sister in America. They always like to ask about my sister. We talk about what my parents are like. We talk about local traditions and customs. And I love on them. And yet I've been called to be there. I know that the Holy Spirit has called me to be there. I know that without a doubt. But I don't limit or expect my disciple-making and my witness-being to just happen on the job according to that specific calling and according to that frame of reference. Now, I'll say a few things. As an organization, we are a Jesus-centered organization. And we do have a strong belief that real, lasting, holistic change is both physical, bringing education, bringing business training, raising families, the the poorest of the poor out of poverty. But we believe it's also spiritual. We also believe in the power of the gospel to transform hearts and minds. Both of these is what brings real, lasting transformation in communities. And so we are praying. We do have strategies in how we can evangelize. A lot of it is through building relationships and looking for open doors to share the gospel. But even in that, we're limited. Nevertheless, the first thing that we do is love. We show the children that we love them. We show the mothers that we love them. Last Thursday, I was here in the U.S., and I woke up to a text from our Ethiopian country director, and he said, one of the mothers in our program has accepted Christ. And I said, oh my gosh, tell me the details. And her name is Hannah. She was doing well. She's been in our program. This is her third year now. She started her own business. They've been able to buy the things they need for their home, for their living. They're raising out of poverty. And then she got sick. And this sickness prohibited her from working. And nothing was working. And she didn't have a relationship with the Lord. But she said, you know what? I'm desperate. I need to be healed. So she went to a local evangelical church that she had never been to before. She went there seeking prayer. They prayed for her. And she was healed. And she said, I'm giving my life to the Lord. And then she came to our office, unprompted, She came to our office and shared with our directors there, Sata and Hara. She said, the Lord used this sickness to bring me to him, to show me his light so that I could have a relationship with him. And she wanted to celebrate with our office staff. There's something there. They see the love of Christ shining anyways. We've been called to be there. We struggle in how we can share the gospel strategically. And yet, because we're where the Holy Spirit called us to be, he used his light in miraculous ways to bring healing somehow unrelated to us, and yet for a connection to come back to us to give him glory. And so Hannah is celebrating her new relationship and her new life with the Lord. I will ask that you would pray for her son, Abel. He's one of the children in our program. He's a cute little boy like this. Uh, He recently seems to have come down with a heart disease, a a heart condition. And it seems to be an attack from the enemy. I choose to believe that the spiritual truth of this says he is healed and that the enemy has no power over him. So as you think about it, please pray for Abel. 
that this testimony of transformation would not just be true for his mother, Hannah, but it would also touch his heart and his mind. And at eight years old, he too would see the light of Christ and come to see Christ. But going back to me, because other than Saturdays, when our kids come to our office, we feed them. That's my only interaction with the kids. Otherwise, I'm interacting with our office staff. What about me? How do I go and make disciples? How do I be a witness of Christ? I got to go to India for a week this last, uh, this last summer. It was to renew my visa. I had to leave the country and go back in. And I said, Lord, I'm not, I don't feel gifted as an evangelist. I also don't like talking to the person next to me on the plane or talking to the person at the checkout counter. I'm an extrovert, but it, does, it doesn't come natural to me. And yet I was, found myself in India with my friend and his friends, whom I'd never met before. They're all Hindus. And we're talking over dinner. And I'm just talking about my previous job working in the food service industry and how I reacted and interacted with the customers. And then I just felt like saying, and actually the thing that prompted me to act that way was my faith. And I left it there. But then he said, oh, really? Your faith, that's interesting. Tell me about that. So I said, okay. And then I was able to start sharing my faith and sharing how, what Jesus did for us and sharing what he did on the cross. And this guy, he said, I never knew that about Jesus before. I kind of heard about Christianity and I knew this, but I didn't know that that's why Jesus died on the cross. And it was just that moment of me hanging out with friends, but seeking to be in tune with the Holy Spirit, seeking to open up a door and waiting for the Lord to come. I prayed other times, Lord, if you would have me speak to my friend's family, if you would have me do this, I don't know what to do, so make an opening. I never sensed an opening, so I said, okay, Lord. But there at dinner with this one friend of a friend, I sensed an opening, and I shared. I have a friend in Addis Ababa, and she had struggled for years with physical illnesses, physical challenges, surgeries, but also mental illnesses, mental struggles. And I was there with her for a period of about six months in probably one of the hardest times of her life. One time I was on the phone with her. She went to visit her family, and literally bombs and missiles were flying into the town she was staying. I didn't know if I was going to talk to her in the morning. Another time, she couldn't handle everything that was going on, and she overdosed intentionally. And after she did, she called me and she said, Shoot, 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 shoot. What did I just do to myself? And I had to just be on the phone with her and pray with her. Not as her voice is fading, not knowing if she's going to wake up or not. Not knowing if I'm going to see my friend in the morning. Thank God his mercy was upon her. She did not die. She survived. And she's doing much better today. I uh, went over the next day and brought her to my house and loved on her, cared for her. And today, she says, she still struggles with a lot of things in understanding the Lord, understanding Christ. But she says, because of how you loved me unconditionally, that's how I know that there's a God who loves me. There's no other way. Nothing else in my life has shown me that there's a God who loves me other than the fact that you were there in my darkest moment and loved me unconditionally. That's what's being in tune with the Holy Spirit. That's being my witness. That's not related to my job. That's not related to my missionary work. That's me being a friend to the person next to me who needs me. That's me being in tune with the Holy Spirit. And even when I was annoyed 
by her struggles, I said, no, it's not about me. It's about her and it's about the Lord and it's about what the Lord can do for her. And I'm going to be there with her and for her. And finally, to wrap it up, we'll go a little bit over. It's African time. To wrap it up, when I'm in Addis Ababa, I stay at a guest home. It's a small little home. Uh, the lady who runs it, her name is Nardi, and she really likes to serve short-term mission groups who come to Ethiopia. So there's a lot of people who come for a week and go back, come back to the U.S. But it's a convenient place for me to stay and keep my things when I'm in Addis Ababa and when I'm not traveling to Chorol. And so it's actually a little bit expensive, to be honest. And there's been so many times when I've been like, God, can I... I love it here, but can I find a cheaper place, a place that's more convenient where I can save more money? And God keeps saying, no, I've called you to be in this guest home. That's where your ministry is when you're there. And he's used me to pray deliverance prayers for some of the house staff that, has, that have worked there. There was a, one of the cooks in the guest home. One day she started falling over. She was being demonized. You could say possessed. And I said, not in my house. I don't know how to cast out a demon. But I know what the word of God says. So a couple of us got together and we prayed and we prayed for deliverance and the Lord delivered her. Another time a similar thing happened. That time I brought two of my friends. I said, we're going to pray for this woman. We're going to pray and seek that the Lord delivers her. And he delivered her. And you should have seen the joy that she had after she was delivered and the light that was shining in her face as she found the freedom. There's other staff members at the guest house, the staff that works there, the Ethiopian staff, that they know Anytime they're reading the Bible and they don't understand it, they can come to me and ask me questions, and I'm happy and free and willing to talk about it. That's what being in tune with the Holy Spirit means. It means being willing to talk about your faith. It means being willing. Maybe you don't know how to tell everybody, I'm a Christian. I did this. I did this. But you can say, I'm going to church today, and people will realize you're a Christian. You can talk to your coworkers. You can casually mention, I did this. I did that. And they'll start to see your fruits. And they'll start to see the words that you're saying. And then they'll realize in the times that the Holy Spirit starts to touch their hearts, they'll realize they can come to you and ask you for more. And that's when the work begins or continues. So like Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth, some of us here today are called to Kingwood. Some of us are called to Houston, to Texas, to America as a whole, and to the nations beyond. Missional living isn't limited to being a missionary that travels across the world. Missional living starts in your house right here and right now. It starts in your job place. It starts, even if you're not working, in the relationships and the people around you. You don't have to be a gifted evangelist. You just have to be obedient to where the Lord has put you and how he's called you. You have to be obedient to pursuing a relationship with him, learning how to discern his voice, and let his voice be that which leads you. Are you living intentionally in tune with the Spirit of God, ready to engage with those around you according to the giftings of the Spirit and the moving of the Spirit?